Welcome to another episode of the Sheepdogs podcast. And we are now going around the globe. We are here in Alaska with Father Michael Shields. Father, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome. It's good to be with you, John. (laughs) Yeah. And Michael and Father Jacob are are tuning in from the Sullivan household in Chicago. That's right. Yep. We're taking this, uh, we're taking the podcast on the road and I love it. It's awesome. Well, before we get started, uh, Father, could you lead us in a, in a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And since it's the feast of the, the uh, Annunciation, let's turn to Our Lady, especially in areas that I have in my heart, Ukraine and Russia, for a cessation of war and uh, the end of violence. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I, Maggie, my sister, is the youth minister here at your parish, mm-hmm. and she was telling me a little bit about you. So I, I heard you were the first Alaskan native. First, to 40, I'm a 43 year old priest. I'm just starting, and um, yeah, I I, uh, I I shook the hand of a saint within a year of my ordination, Saint John Paul the the mm-hmm. second, and um, yeah, I, I, if anybody who's influenced my priesthood, JP, has done it for me, and his love for the church, his deep teaching, and his missionary spirit. I think that's kind of what's ca- captured my heart as a priest these 43 years. Wow. So could you talk about what, during those 43 years, where did you spend most of your time? Um, uh, I spent 28 years in Far East Siberia in the former prison camps of Stalin uh, for my sins. I probably should be <laughs> a lot longer, but uh, I had 10 years, I was 10 years out of the priesthood. I don't know if uh, father, I'm sure, I don't know how, how many years you've been ordained, but 10 years, the fire starts kind of settling. And there was something in my heart said, now uh, this priesthood has to be rebooted. So I said to the Lord very foolishly, do whatever you want with my priesthood for the rest of my life. Well, he sent me to Siberia. Wow. So uh, that's Great. kind of a crazy thing. So I, I was, uh, I, when Russia fell, I went there in 1989 and fell in love with it and then fell out of love with it. And because uh, it's a rough culture, I mean, Siberia, my goodness, you know, everybody knows my spirit is cold and distant. And I went on a 40 day retreat, Jesuit retreat. Don't do this if you don't want to change your life. And uh, I heard go pray in the camps. And that's it. My heart was turned. It was the same place I, in my heart that priesthood is. It's the deepest part of my being. And so I went. And I went for 28 years uh, to rebuild the church, to preach the gospel, and to, uh, to counter what communism has done for over 70 years. It stole the soul of the people. We want to recover their soul. And so, uh, yeah. Hmm. The, regretfully, uh, after 28 years, my documents uh, uh, were uh, questioned, and so I was ex- I've been exiled for five years from Russia. I'm going back as soon as I can uh, to die there. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's awesome. 
That's awesome. And so, Father, where did you, where were you ordained? Or where did I was you... ordained when? when? Uh, where? Where were you? Anchorage, part? Alaska. I was ordained. I was baptized uh, at the cathedral. I was ordained at the cathedral uh, in Anchorage, Alaska. I was the first priest uh, who, after 100 years of uh, evangelization, it got me. A little disappointed, but <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And so what was it like when you first arrived in Russia to begin this ministry? It's, it, was, uh, it was really rustic. I mean, I, ha I had no, absolutely no sacramentary, no lectionary. We wow. had to translate every prayer that we got there. So the first year and a half, we were had the second Sunday of Advent, about five Sundays in a row. So, I mean, it was just, it was really primitive. Uh, I happened to be in, in Magadan, which was a former prison camp, uh, and I had over 250 prison camp survivors, not all Catholic, that I started connecting with and uh, hearing their stories about in the prison camps. The prison camps ended in 1954 at Stalin's death, but continued in Magadan to about the 60s. So the church that I built is actually built on a former prison camp. It's called a free camp for women. They would stay in the camp and they go out and work and come back because they were so, um, so brainwashed that they couldn't leave the camp. That was their life, 10 years, and, and they couldn't leave it. So anyhow, yeah. So my, uh, my ministry there soon, I soon encountered people. The first time in my priesthood, I gave communion to, to somebody who suffered for their faith. And these are holy men and holy women. These are saints. And uh, then I said, well, their stories have to be told. So we did interviews uh, and uh, wrote two books in Russian and one book came out in English. It's not available anymore from the church in need called uh, Magadan Martyrs. And uh, yeah, so my heart, I learned about suffering. I learned about the cross. And I learned about Our Lady in uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned about it. I, I embraced it more deeply. Yeah. Sure. Wow, that's fascinating. So can you kind of give us just a little more insight into what kind of uh, lives those people were living or what kind of, uh, yeah, the struggles that they had during your time in there in Russia? Yeah, when I got there, first of all, economically was a deeply uh, struggling time. It was the ruble had fallen twice. People's, uh, 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 people's money in the bank was useless. Uh, we were really starving. We were really hungry. We, coal was uh, not available. That's the main heating element. I'd go to bed at night with a cap and a, and a coat, uh, you know, 10 below zero in my apartment. It's, uh, it was really, for the first few, it was pretty tough. It got a little better. And the ruble fell again, so people, again, were destroyed. But the one thing I noticed in preaching the gospel, that she, there was so much fear. And, uh, you know, fear uh, doesn't allow faith to grow. Fear is a barrier. And I think in the United States today, fear is a, a real barrier to faith. And I knew that you had to break through that fear in order to find the faith. And so it, the only way you do that, see, communism is a great propaganda. They are the best. So they had all kinds of words. So you couldn't, your words were not going to do it. What had to do it is you had to show their love. And so I said, come with me. I'll show you how to pray. Come with me. Let's feed people. So kind of acts of mercy were the things that started converting hearts. I, my part, my uh, saint that I followed, uh, Blessed Charles de Foucault, soon to be canonized. I'll be in Rome for that. And uh, he uh, invited people in the monastic life. He had 100 people visit him every day. And so I said, the church door is open. Come anytime. 
pray with me, be with me, eat with me. I never, I tried not to eat by myself ever. I had somebody with me, whoever it was. Uh, so it was a real conversion of mercy. Now the Russian soul is very deep, they're religious people. And um, the best thing I could do is say is as a description was I saw uh, these people who were so battered by, uh, by a material communism and uh, their soul is covered up. It's like when you look into a lake that's frozen and it's all covered with snow, you, gotta, you take that snow and you blow it away and then you look down, you can see the pure water down there. That's what I'd see. These people's souls were just so beautiful, but they were all covered up with this terrible propaganda of hate for church and hate for God. And uh, so my job was to break through that ice and that's fear. And I just kept preaching and living, and, and I you know, had a beautiful little parish and really live. And um, yeah, and my heart's broken. I'm not there. Uh, my heart's broken with the war. Uh, I weep at night because I know people who are dying. I've preached in Ukraine. I've preached all over Russia. I was a chaplain for the Sisters of Mother Teresa for the 18 houses. I was all over. And um, this is a tragedy beyond tragedy yeah, for my heart. So, yeah, being there for such a long period of time, uh, you must have been in some very, you know, interesting and also, you know, kind of devastating situations. I was wondering what was kind of like one of the hardest moments um, or like scenarios that you were in while you were um, a missionary in Russia and what kept you going through those hard times? Yeah, I, uh, my, there were lots of hard times, lots of desolations. First of all, um, I had priests with me for a while that wanted to join a small community called the Brothers of the Heart of Jesus. And, and uh, they left, just like uh, Brother Charles, I was left by myself for 10 years. Uh, I had a kind of a half hermitage uh, every, on Mondays and Sundays and Mondays, I go out to a hermitage, it's called Pustinia. And that was a, that's a sustaining reality for me. We have the intimacy with the Lord and, and quiet and prayer and contemplative, contemplative life. Hardest things is confession. I didn't, sometimes I go three to five months without seeing a priest. And, I would have to, I would call up the sisters of Mother Teresa, says, you need a retreat and pay my way so I can have confession. So uh, I would go and, and find those priests. That's, that's the most difficult, one of those sacraments. I think the other side is, is always being uh, aware that there's a spiritual pressure. That somebody comes in the Magadan or any place where there's been such evil, it's called the devil's playground you feel the spiritual oppression. And so people actually have a spiritual knowledge. They fly into Magadha and say, there's such a cloud here. There's such a strong presence because so many people died in the camps. The, 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 the road that comes out of Magadha is called the road of blood and bones because they would die and they just grind them into the road. So that spiritual war, that spiritual battle that we talk so easily about here is really sensed there deeply. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. The government also was, uh, was I mean, uh, <laughs> you're, I'm an American and a Catholic priest and orthodoxy is, an, is the religion there and it should be and it has to be. And I, I bow before that. We, we have a presence there. We have, have that presence for many centuries. It's small, it's humble. We got to stay humble. We got to stay little there. We have, I'm not convert all of Russia to Catholicism. I'm there to serve as much as I can the Catholics and, and whoever wants to come through the front door, but it's not to make a huge splash, a Catholic splash. We shouldn't. It's an Orthodox country. So the hard part, you know, is when, when you get attacked spiritually or, or when the government, you know, I first got there and uh, the, the 
Cedar Service was there and asked me what I was doing. And, you know, I, I remember one time I was, uh, I, it, early on I was asked if I, if I, yeah, I, I kept saying, you're gonna have to leave, you're gonna have to leave, you're gonna have to leave. And I went to my postinia just, you know, praying, this is so crazy because I have to pack up my bags and then they sued me to get me out. And I mean, so I'm walking through, uh, it's May and in Magadan, the snow it's snowy and muddy and it's ugly. And I'm, I'm walking in and I fell face first in this mud. I'm just covered with mud. My habit's dirty, I'm eating mud. And I'm throwing my arms up and it says, Lord God, keep me here. And I looked at myself and I said, you are a fool. Get out of here. What are you doing? Well, God, when God calls you, you can't deny it. When God calls you, he puts a fire in your heart. You got to follow that fire. I don't, I, in the worst moments, I could take a spiritual thermometer and plunge it into my heart in the, in the greatest desolation and fear would not be there. Faith would be there and joy would be there. So God changes your heart. God calls you. Or this is, I can honestly say this, uh, this going, go to Russia, Siberia was not my idea. This was not my idea. This was God's idea. And my bishop didn't uh, agree with me that was here. And my priest friends didn't agree with me. So I had to really fight to have this uh, call become realized. But uh, man, you know, when you put a fire in your heart like that, and God's the Holy Spirit works, you can't deny it. You just got to go with it. So even the worst moments, and there were some terrible moments. This is actually one of the worst moments right now because I'm away. This is, this is maybe, you know, I, I, when I was kicked out of Russia, and basically it was because of documents that were not my fault. And I came here for four months. I couldn't uh, speak with people. So I just put the Blessed Sacrament in front of me. And every morning I just say, what are you doing to me? You said I was going to stay. What are you doing? And just tell me. And I, I do that two, three hours a day. Go bike riding, go hiking, go climbing, come back, do the same for four months and he never answered me. He just said, trust, trust. So that's where I'm walking right now. I'm kind of walking in this deeper place of trust that just has no sense of where it's gonna go. Now the war breaks out, I need to get back. I need to be there with my people. And so Lord, just take me there. So you, you mentioned a lot of the Russians deal with a lot of fear and this podcast is for college students. Uh, mostly, and a lot of college students are afraid. And you said you love JP too, and he was always saying, "Do not be afraid." Um, but can you give us some tips on how can we how how can we live without fear and, and lean into that trust? In God? Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, first of all, fear fear is all around, and and the devil obviously uses fear to keep people away. Uh, we've just gone through a huge COVID experience, so there's two things that are have to be kicked out of people's hearts: anger and fear. Those are the two things that are ruling people after this COVID experience, and you have to exercise literally exercise that out of people's hearts. And so I, I think uh, fear should not capture you if you are faithful. And so I think that the, the faith is the counter of fear. Uh, doubt does not counter of faith. Fear is the counter of faith. And so what you do is the more you trust, the more you believe, and God's going to put you in place. We, you know, there's, there's logical fear, you know, that we have grizzly bears up here, and I don't want to wrestle a grizzly bear. I'd be kind of <laughs> fearful of that. But uh, the, the kind of fear that captures your heart uh, is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a frozenness, you know? You have to keep your heart warm, you have to keep your heart young, you have to keep your heart open. 
And so you, it's like, I, I, the best thing I say is like, keep the ice broken. Fear is gonna, it's gonna freeze your heart. You just take that chipper and you just keep chipping through that fear until it's fresh water again, because it's gonna try and do that. So that, how do you do that? Well, the best way is to come before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and just talk with him. My, my priesthood is based on that holy hour, actually holy days. Uh, I'm more in need of most uh, for this time. And so uh, keeping the Lord alive in your, in your life and that, that Blessed Sacrament, our adoration of the Blessed Sacrament is so critical because nobody worships God enough. So you're going you're gonna to do the worship of God that, uh, that this civilization is not doing. And that keeps your heart open. You keep your heart open by worshiping. So that's maybe the most important thing to, 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 to counter fear. You have to worship. Fear shuts your heart. Worship opens your heart. Worship says there is something more important than me. There's more, more important than my fear, more important than my pain, more important than my sin. It's God himself. And he conquers everything. He's victorious. He, we know that the victory is ours. He has conquered sin, death, and the Satan. And he's conquered fear. Mm. And he conquered fear. So you get close to him, you're going to be okay. So um, I want to ask another one about, like you, you said you worship a lot from the Blessed Sacrament. And then sometimes you even heard uh, when you were praying about go to the camps. Um, can you help us to, I know St. Charles de Foucault was about a spirit of abandonment. Sure. Like how can we, once we do hear that voice of God, answer and respond to that call? Well, first of all, you hear the voice of God, it's going to be attractive. You, this, you know, people get said, man, if I call God, he's going to send me to Africa and I'm going to have to give up everything. Well, maybe, but mostly it's going to be an attraction. You're going to, you cannot, when you hear the voice of God, it's like candy. It's like you want it. And it's going to be hard. And there's things that are, you know, you may have to give up, but so what? You know, for all eternity, you're going to be with him. You might as well get used to him now. So uh, the, the, my sense is that, my sense is that, that the a true voice of God is like pulls you, just pulls you. So, so if people are praying and they're fearful that God's going to ask them to give up something, they're not really listening to God. They're listening to themselves. Again, fear. But you pray, and when God speaks to your heart, like when he came into my heart, when he gave me that go and pray in the camps, uh, I had such fear and such, such doubt and uh, the best way I can say it, he kind of healed that inside of me, and it was gone all of a sudden. So the two things that you know you have the voice of God speaking to, joy and peace. Even in the midst of a chaotic moment, even in the midst where you have doubt, you can have joy and peace. When you have joy and peace, that's a gift, the fruits of the Holy Spirit that shows God speaking to you, and you're going to run with it. You're, you're not going to run away from it. You're going to run to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, Russia being not a, uh, not a Catholic um, country, as you said, it was an Orthodox country. Um, what kind of like conflicts or um, maybe disagreements, or is there any like pushback from, you know, the Orthodox church in Magadan or maybe the government officials like today, or in terms of like when you were last, last there are there still kind of those pushbacks against your mission there yeah i think so and i i think again the orthodox I, I, i'm gonna bow to them this is their this is their country this is their orthodoxy as i'm jp 
said, you know, we breathe the two lungs. The Orthodox has the Eastern lung. We have the Byzantine Catholic, the Orthodox. We have the Western lung, the Roman Catholic lung. I breathe the two. I have a great love for the Orthodox liturgy. I think it is amazing that we don't, we in the West can learn so much from their adoration, for their, from their prayer. And uh, the, the regretful is that we are brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters when they fight, they have the worst arguments and they have the most bitter Something. When you fight with your sister, it's different than fighting with a stranger in, in, a, in a supermarket. It's bitter and it's anger. And that's what we were up. And, and it's, it's disappearing. I, I have some good Orthodox friends. I have some good Orthodox priests. But honestly, you know, we're, we're look suspiciously. We're, we're Roman Catholics. We have a lot of power in the world. We're a universal church. The Orthodox looks as we, we you know, we're going we're gonna to just uh, zoom in and take care of the people, take the people. I don't want to do that. I don't want to propagandize. I don't want to take people away from orthodoxy. I, I'm there for those who have no faith or have Catholic background. So the, yeah, there's been pushback for me. Absolutely. And uh, I've, I lived through five orthodox bishops. There are three of them were not too nice and two of them were pretty cool. So, you know, and I had some monks, uh, there's this is a great, great story. Is this this one monk who, uh, I, I because there's no or Catholic priest, I said, could I go to confession to you because it's been so long, and I know in my church I can do that. He says, no, I don't know. I'll check it out. So he he, he got ordained um, to the or consecrated to a bishop and spoke to the patriarch at that time that there's this Catholic priest back in Madagascar, God-fearing priest, wants to go to confession to me. Can I? And the Orthodox, the patriarch, this is patriarch girl said, well, no but he's so God-fearing, you go back and convert him to orthodoxy. So <laughs> he came back to convert me to or orthodoxy, so it didn't work. But, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so there's been back and forth these 28 years, ups and downs. Again, I just want to say, we are not there to usurp the orthodox faith. It's that is strong. And I, I want to pump it up. I want people to be more orthodox. I'm there to serve a small community of people Catholic background and people who walk in the front door that has no no sense of God. Yeah. How do you discern that? Like what what you're called to do? Because you knew you were called to go to Siberia, Russia, in the camps, but then to be able to just laser focus on your mission on your people, how can you? How do you kind of like drown out all the other things that are wanting your attention? Yeah, I, I, I think what you do is you just let the Lord lead. This is his call, it's not mine. Um, and so you, you just ask him what, what you know, you, just keep, you keep your prayer life like a really good lifeline. You die if you don't pray. The people in the prison camps, they, you know, I, I interviewed them. They, were, they had lost everything. 17, 18-year-old, they were taken from their home, Lithuania, Latvia, uh, Ukraine, Poland. And they were taken from the Siberia Railroad to Magadan, which was really a death camp because they, it was too far away. Nobody could, could really escape. Uh, so these lives were absolutely destroyed. Their future was destroyed. They would maybe see their family, but 10 years from there, they may not be alive. And so I interviewed them and I noticed two things. One, one they still had joy. Two, they had no bitterness in their heart. I said, why wouldn't you be able to be bitter? And uh, they answered me in, 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 in unison, these people who are the faithful ones, they said, because uh, if you didn't forgive and pray, you would die. Now, I say that's spiritually pretty true for all of us. If we didn't pr don't pray and we don't forgive, 
who spiritually die. So how, how do you keep up on the Lord? Asking forgiveness from him for, for, and asking forgiveness of others. When you're off, off beat, you come back, you hear what you want to do, we hear what he wants to do, and you do it. But you keep the prayer line open. Even if it's a bad, it's a, you got, nobody prays enough. I mean, I've never, in a, as a priest in a confessional, ever heard somebody, Father, bless me, Father, for I said, I'm praying way too much. Please help me. No, I've never heard that. So it's not a matter of praying too much. It's just keeping the line open, no matter how weak, how strong, how difficult, how have you fallen, you keep the prayer line open and he's going to guide you. The Holy Spirit's promised that from your baptismal life. He promised the Holy Spirit's confession is going to be there for you. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that witness of the people, just how prayer is truly that lifeline. Also earlier, how you were saying how you know, this perfect love casts out fear too, right? So just talk to our Lord and how that's just going to, you know, we could cast all of our cares upon him, right? And just yep. the Lord will work through that too, yep. just to strengthen us. So yep. no matter where we are, if we're in Russia, if we're in, yeah, struggling with exams at school, whatever it may be, uh, to know that the Lord is going to continually provide. So that's an amazing witness though. You had to think of all those people that you yep. interviewed. Yeah. yeah, no matter what we're going through right now, we didn't go through what they went through. And, and the camp is a horrible place, a terrible place. And if that kept them alive, prayer and, and forgiveness, I think we got a pretty good bet that that could probably keep us alive too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so you said you're going to the canonization of Blessed Charles. Yes, my diocese is actually sending me, praise God. And I was there at the beatification as well with the little sisters and little brothers of Jesus. I was, I was at the monastery where Brother Charles uh, stayed. Uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to go back wow. and see this man who was such a failure. I just, I, I'm, I'm following the best Saint Eva because he was just a failure. I baptize more people than he's baptized, <laughs> you know. I just say, Brother Charles, I beat you on this one. But, <laughs> he, uh, but he's, because of his failure, he just had to abandon himself over and over, which is a great gift for all of us because we're all failing. We all have this terrible sense that we're not doing what we're supposed to do. But man, just keep abandoning yourself to God, and God's going to work through everything. And weakness is your strength. Paul says, "I don't. I've never figured that out, but it's real and it's true." And uh, yeah, so the abandonment of Brother Charles, abandon myself in your hands. Do with me what you will. Is the best prayer for me. And then I can let go of all my successes and all my failures and all my ways in which I measure the priesthood or the religious life or the the baptismal life I have, I just, I don't have to measure that anymore. I just abandon myself and God's will is there right in front of us, whatever it is. And I can live that with a great joy. Hmm. Yeah. How do you kind of switch from the mentality? Cause we're, I'm, me and Michael are in the business school and we're always talking about success and, and achieving things. And it's, it's something you can statistically measure sure. how many numbers you have in church or how much money you're making. How do you switch from, success looks more like doing God's will and abandoning yourself to that yeah. versus how many people we have in the pews. Well, I, I, I count pews, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think you have, I don't, it's not the full success, you know, success is, is, is reality. Uh, so we, you, I'm, I don't, you know, if I, if my parish empties out after my homily, I'm going to be really upset, you know, <laughs> that, so the thing is, it's there. It's a natural uh, reality to think, but, but, but the basis, the foundation, I mean, 
St. Mother Teresa, you know, faithful, faithfulness is over everything. So the faithfulness is that. So I think, uh, again, your, ha your heart can be captured by anything. We can make idols out of anything. We can make idols out of success. We can make idols out of our families. We can make idols out of anything. So what you do is you pray that success be and become your idol. Hmm. You just kick out the idols. And then you put in your heart the one thing that's needed, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then everything else fits in, it's like the puzzle, you know, the, or the wheel, you know, the, the access is Christ. And then you have success here, you have good families, you have lovely kids, but the access is Jesus Christ. And so those don't, don't when, you, when you make the spoke, your, axe, your, your center of your wheel, your, your wheel doesn't run. But you, Jesus Christ in the center and then all the axes, so all the things that are good about life. We Catholics love life. We love families, we love everything in the right perspective. Uh, God's given all this as gifts, but it has to be centered on him. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you guys have any more questions? Wow, so good. I love just hearing stories. But yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I do retreats, I give all these stories, you know, and you know, Father, you know, you, we can be theologically really profound, but the people come about, tell a story again. Tell, <laughs> tell about Alita, tell about Andre. You know, the stories, those gaps are just, I mean, Jesus did this so well. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I guess we should probably imitate him more. Huh? But uh, yeah. Well, I guess, could you, could you give us a story then? Or <laughs> did you have a question? Yeah, let me give you one story. It's really a love. I just did, did a retreat and on the Eucharist, on uh, the power of the Eucharist, power of reconciliation and the power of Our Lady. It's three really drizzed you know, we had, we had so many good confessions of 50 years, 30 years, 20 years. I had to get a, 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 you know, a vacuum to vacuum up the tears in the confessional. There were so many, you know, that's a lie. But <laughs> anyhow, so there's this story. So Alita comes to the church. She's six years old. Her parents are not, not Christian, doesn't believe. She's a, we have built a church. So she's interested in what this building is. She comes to the back of the church, six years old. I mean, she's as big as a donut. And so she's in the back, just barely looking over the pew. And she, each, each Sunday, she gets a little closer, gets a little closer, just, just really concentrated, just really a brainy little kid, just smart kid. But she's just watching me on the altar. What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Has no idea, absolutely no catechetics. The last Sunday, uh, one Sunday that she was in the front pew, she was watching me. And usually as every time somebody comes up to you, bless them. And they blow, they're those who don't receive communion. So she comes up, I bless her. She, I bless her, she doesn't leave. I bless her, she doesn't leave. I bless her. Lalita, leave here. And so afterwards she comes up and just, you know, puts her hand on her hip and her finger in the air. I was going to get balled out by a seven-year-old now. And uh, she says, Father Michael, why didn't you give me Jesus? I wanted Jesus. This seven-year-old, six-year-old heart discerned what we call transubstantiation. We call the changing of the bread and wine and the body and blood and soul and divinity of Christ. Not catechetics, not teaching. The Holy Spirit working in this little heart said, that's Jesus and I want him. <laughs> and so... Uh, She's now a young mother. She has a little, little child. She's 20-some years old now. And, but, uh, yeah. So I said to the people, I said, all you need is a child's heart. And then you're going to want Jesus. And you want Jesus, yeah, that's all you need. So that's one story. Amazing. 
Thanks, Father. Well, thank you so much for, uh, yeah, just your witness too and your perseverance. You know, it's certainly it's an inspiration for us. And also just to, to remember, yeah, to our brothers and sisters um, in Christ suffering so much in other parts of the world, it is a great reminder, you know, of just like the faith. Uh, yeah, just a, a great witness to their faith, you know, and our need to stay united with them, uh, especially those Christians who are persecuted or whatever it may be. So thank you for your great witness and for just sharing, uh, sharing your time, sharing your witness and your encouragement too. So, yeah. Thanks. I think it's so awesome. Um, you know, I, I look back and, you know, throughout history, and I, I think about saints like uh, St. Francis Xavier or like the, the American martyrs that came over and uh, evangelized yeah. um, the native Americans and all these things. And you're so, you know, I'm so inspired, but I always think that's like something, you know, of the past where, you know, there's not a, you know, an untouched field, um, like, you know, like what Russia is now in terms of like Catholicism. So, you know, hearing your stories about you going to a place where there's not, you know, another Catholic priest for hundred, like within a hundred, hundreds of miles of you, thousands of miles. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So yeah, in an area where, you know, there's not, um, you know, that there's not the established church like we have, you know, in America around us. Um, it's so brave. And, you know, I'll be praying that you'll be able to, you know, get I back. Go back and die. Pray I go back and die. I, I, I will care. be praying that you will go back and die. <laughs> and so on my website, when I invited people, missionaries to join me on my website, I said, come to Siberia and die. And it didn't have many hits. I don't know why that was. <laughs> no, I, just... I think you need better marketing. I think a better market. I didn't, I didn't, didn't get the marketing, didn't get it down really well. So, <laughs> like the future St. Charles, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That. New missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't intend to be a missionary father. I, I, I'm just a diocesan priest. I love parish. I love people. But God, God changes your heart when He needs you. Needs you, mm. he just he just directs you. And I just yeah. pray for any of the college students their first vocations. I just we need priests, we need good priests, we need holy priests, we need young men to commit themselves to this kind of mission. It's a sacrifice. You offer your body and blood along with the Eucharist. It's your body, your blood, with his body, his blood. And if you don't know what sacrifice is, you can't be a priest. Mm. So I just ask people if they're suffering, they're sacrificing their life, they got priesthood responsibility. Is there a prayer or something we could do every day, college students can do to pray for their future vocation? Yeah, I, I think well, my favorite is abandonment prayer, but I, you know, I just think prayer, period. You keep the line open and God's going to speak to your heart. I got, a, I got on Wednesdays, uh, the second Wednesday every month, I have a young, young, about 15 young men gathering together. We're just, you know, looking about spiritual depth and priesthood and all things. And they're not all going to be priests, but they're all want to be holy. They want to be pure. They're all struggling. So uh, you do that, and God's going to just build on that foundation and give you the vocation. He, he gives you the vocation. You don't get the vocation. You don't choose your vocation. God chooses your vocation. You just have to listen to hear what it is. You know, it's, I, I wonder if I have a vocation. Well, ask God. He knows. You, you may not. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Father. This You're has welcome. been this has been awesome. First first podcast episode in Alaska. Wow, let's so, not be the last. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we could do one from Russia one day. Hey, I, I would love to come <laughs> over and join me. <laughs> Field trip, I love it. <laughs>
Come die in Siberia. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you very much. It was uh, it was great to uh, it was great to be able to talk to you. You know, your your story is uh, super inspiring, and you know we're going to be praying for the people of uh, Magadan. Yeah. Yeah. Let's join the Pope. Uh, get Our Lady, Queen of Peace, working on this. It's a it's amazing adventure that the Church has today. It has a real profound. We're finally tying into what we have the the best, which is Our Lady's uh, response and uh, prayer uh, is what saves souls. So maybe this consecration, I, I believe this consecration will be a, a, a big impact. So it's awesome. Can we can we close in a prayer, Father Jacob or Yeah, Father Jacob, what if you do you <laughs> lead a prayer? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the witness today of your priest, Father Michael, continuing to bless him, bless all those in Russia and Ukraine. We commend all this to our blessed mother Mary. May we continually uh, listen to the words of the angel Gabriel uh, at the Annunciation, be not afraid, and to know that nothing is indeed impossible with God. We continually just place our faith before you, Lord. We ask the Holy Spirit to overshadow us also and set our hearts afire, that we will just be enlivened by whatever our call may be in our lives. We could follow that boldly uh, after Our Lady and St. Charles de Foucault and all of our patrons. And we commend all of our brothers and sisters in Russia and Ukraine, those, anyone who's suffering at this time under her care. And we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Trust